Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 152. It's November 9th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, there's a lot going on this week. I did want to squeeze in at least a quick episode here at the beginning of the week. I wanted to address my take on what's going on in the market. And then also I wanted to hit two key topics. One is a follow-up from the previous episode. I want to talk about market indicators versus economic indicators. And then I also want to tell you about a blog post I put up today over at investablewealth.com. And that's about unrealistic stock market expectations. And that's the tip for you to take going into these final weeks of the year where we carry on our theme of you getting a better understanding of investing and wealth building principles so that you can hit the ground running in 2016. So we're going to talk about all three of those topics. So let's get down to business. We'll start off doing a quick market review. All the major indexes were pretty much down 1% today. The good news was that volume was significantly below average, so it wasn't a major meltdown. This is a concern, though. The markets reached their top about five trading sessions ago. That's where they climbed that wall of worry. For these last six weeks or so, things were looking pretty good, much better than I would have told you that the fundamentals justified. However, things did peter out last week when we got a better than average jobs report. And then also that was followed up by several members of the Federal Reserve, including the chairwoman, Janet Yellen, where they all said that a rate hike for the end of the year has not been ruled out. Now, this is the kind of information that I personally don't like to trade on, and in fact, I'm not trading on it. This type of information is too arbitrary. For when I talk about swing trading and being an active investor, I mean that in terms of when I can define a trend. When I can look at more than one sector of the economy or group of stocks within the S&P 500 or another major index or an international market, where I see a trend of either stocks consistently going up or consistently going down, and they generally do that regardless of the headline news, because that's the underlying trend. That's when the rising tide lifts all boats. I like to trade that way because I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. I don't have superhuman powers. I'm definitely not infallible, and if I pick 5 or 10 stocks to invest in or 5 or 10 exchange-traded funds, well, you know the probability of 100% of those going up and appreciating is next to zero. No one's that good. I'm certainly not that good. I know I'm going to have some of those stocks that uh, underperform. I'm going to have some of them that do absolutely nothing at all, and then I'm going to have a few of them that really break out and go on to go up 15, 20, 25%. And they'll do that over a period of maybe two weeks to three months from when I buy them. That's why I like swing trading. That's why I like being an active trader. But that only works when you can discern a real underlying trend, one that's either dragging stocks up or dragging them down. Because if, if even if the stocks are getting dragged down, you can short them and make a profit that way. But the point is, you have to have that underlying trend. And this is a key factor. You've heard me say it many times. I'll repeat it many times going into the future. The majority of stocks follow the trend Otherwise, you wouldn't have a trend. And in fact, it's just not 50 or 51% of stocks that follow the trend. If you've identified a good solid trend, then you're going to find that over 70% of stocks will be moving in the direction of that trend. 
That's the secret to making money as an active swing trading investor because you're not going to be right 100% of the time. And if you're investing when there's a definitive trend and at least 70% of the stocks are going in the direction of your trade, then that helps your odds. That reduces the likelihood that you're going to have a significant amount of underperformance in your picks. Well, that's just not happening right now. And that's why, for the most part, I'm avoiding participating in this market. The market that we're in now is being driven by the headlines and more importantly, it's being driven by Federal Reserve policy. I should really say central bank policy because it's not only the United States Federal Reserve, but it's really the central banks across the globe. The European Central Bank, the Japanese Central Bank, the People's Bank of China. And whenever we get a bad news headline, people have been conditioned to believe that these central banks will come in with more stimulus spending and then that raises expectations on the stock market and the indexes go up. We saw this happen and play out again just, you know, yet again, five weeks, five, six weeks ago, we came off of those lows from the downtrend we saw that started around August 24th because bad news was building to the extent where people believed that the Federal Reserve would put off interest rates being risen this year. And then we also saw uh, Draghi over at the European Central Bank come out and say he was going to double down on his stimulus. The Japanese didn't uh, double down on theirs, but they also didn't cut back. And then, of course, for throughout this year, we've seen China more than doubling down on their stimulus. I mean, at this point, they've thrown in the entire kitchen sink. You know, they've done everything to support their industrial sector. They've, then they came in and did everything they could to support the real estate bubble. And then it was this year that we saw them come in and pull out all the stops to protect their stock market. The Chinese stock market right now, it's recovered slightly from its lows. It's still a major landslide out there because it's like the Hotel California. The Chinese government has, has literally put in policies where you can get into the market, but it's extremely hard to get out, right? So it's like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. We continue to see the global slowdown with its epicenter in China. None of this stimulus spending is really working, but it's at least keeping the markets uh, where they're at a point where they're treading water. They're staying afloat. And the minute a central banker or a Federal Reserve official comes out and nods the other direction, the markets quickly reverse. And so right now, over these past four or five trading sessions, we've seen the dollar spike up. We've seen the markets peter out. We've seen the price of gold drop. We've seen commodity prices drop back down. Uh, currently, West Texas Intermediate uh, crude oil is trading about $44 a barrel. But I want to reiterate here, none of this is based on a trend. It's simply based on the arbitrary statements coming out of the central bankers and then people's interpretations of what those bankers will do in the future. And since none of us know for sure, it's my preference during these types of market volatility just to stay out altogether. I can't be sure if a, if a central banker tomorrow is going to come out and say yay or nay. And the markets will react and they'll react violently to those positions. So in my opinion, this is a good time to just keep your powder dry, to sit this out, wait for the indecision to wane, and then you'll be prepared to come in and pick up the pieces and profit from some trades, which will definitely be advantaged as the trend does move either up or down. And so with the S&P 500 dipping down today, almost coming down to its 200-day moving average, it's broken support at not only its 5-day, but also its 10-day moving average. 
This has been a broad decline affecting virtually all the sectors of the index. I say you just bide your time and wait for things to stabilize. As you've heard me say before, I think this new baseline for the S&P 500 is well below where we are right now at that 2100 level. I think the baseline going into 2016 is 1950. That's about 130 points below where we are right now, about, I don't know, 6 7% of a decline. I don't know if it's likely, but I certainly believe it's probable. Year-to-date, the S&P 500 is up about 1%. And so if you've spent the last 11 months being a buyer and a holder, then you've gone through a lot of headaches and a bunch of frustration just to get a very small amount of return on your investment, while at the same time you left yourself open to better than a 15 or a 20% correction because that's the precipice that this market is sitting on. The likelihood of the market going up in the near term, 10 or 15%, is significantly less than the probability of the bottom falling out and this market dropping 15 or 20% over the near term. So enough about the current market condition. I just say invest with caution. Now let's go over to our second topic of today, and that's the difference between market indicators and economic indicators. And this is a follow-up to our previous episode where I talked about reading beyond the headlines based on questions that I've received from listeners. I want to reiterate the point about ignoring the headlines and then really digging into the facts. And when I talk about the facts, a lot of people ask me, well, you know, what am I talking about? How can you believe GDP? Because it's been manipulated. It's been changed so much over the years. If you go over to shadowstats.com, the guy that runs that website does a really good job of showing you how GDP and unemployment statistics and all of these economic indicators, how they've been modified and changed over the years and how different the picture would look if you use the same methodology that was used just eight or ten years ago. Well, that's where I want to stress when I tell you to ignore the headlines and go down and look at the numbers, you know, to specifically go to the Federal Reserve's website, or if you're talking about unemployment statistics, specifically go to the Bureau of Labor. But when you get there, look at the real numbers. And then, as you'll recall what I said, just don't stop there. Then take that and compare that to your area of interest, the equity or the stock or whatever type of fund that you're, in, that you're invested in, and look at how that asset class is performing. What's its price? What's the volume? Are people buying more of it or people buying less of it? Is that price moving up or moving down? And then I mentioned again the five things that I look at every day, the first five things I look at in the morning, the last five things I look at at night, the price of gold, the price of oil, the 10-year treasury interest rate, the U.S. dollar against a basket of currencies, and then finally the price of the S&P 500. Those five things are the main market indicators that I use as a standard or as a gauge for everything else. And the difference between a market indicator is, is that the market indicator, it's a price set by the market. You can specifically go in and you can analyze and you can chart out what the actual market price is and then how many people are engaged in that trade. That is a market indicator. It's very hard to manipulate. Now, I'm not going to say that it's never manipulated, but it's very hard to manipulate the entire global trade on something like oil or something like gold or something as immense as the S&P 500. No one can corner all those markets at exactly the same time. They're too big. And that's why you just don't look at one. You look at, you know, half a dozen of them. As you develop your observational awareness and your pattern recognition ability, 
you'll be able to track how those market indicators correlate. And when they don't, you'll know that's an anomaly. And anomalies always signal a change in conditions or maybe an inflection point in the market. And that's where you dig down and investigate more in depth because chances are that's where your opportunity is going to be for your next trade. But you're using this based on market indicators, things that have a set price in a very large market. So you can look at the S&P 500. You can look at the German DAX. You can look at the yield on the 10-year treasury. These are markets that are too big for any one person to manipulate for too long. Now, that's totally different from economic indicators. Economic indicators are contrived statistics. Unemployment rates, gross domestic product, seasonal housing statistics, all these kind of things that governments and economists track and then put into some type of a statistic where they can use those numbers to justify the policy decision that, that they're in favor of. You've heard the old saying about statistics that you can lie with figures and figures lie. Well, that's what economic indicators are. And I'm not going to get paranoid and claim that everything's corrupt and, and nothing has any merit to it. But just look at the numbers coming out of China. We've seen them continually revise their numbers down to now they're finally at an official growth rate of 6.5%. When you look at the market indicators, Things like how many raw materials are actually being imported into the country and how much trade is actually being exported out of the country to the developed countries. And then how much internal energy usage of things like uh, electricity or how much oil is being imported into the country. Those are market indicators that we can track. And when we look at those market indicators, it looks like the Chinese growth rate is more like four and a half, maybe five percent. But even that six and a half percent, we're at the end of the year now. All through the beginning part of 2015, they were talking about growing over 7%. They had to go in and devaluate their currency this summer by more than 2%. In addition to all the stimulus spending they're doing and all the capital controls they have. And they still can't get their economy to grow. There's no doubt that you can't trust the economic indicators coming out of China. And so you have to use market indicators. Well, I don't believe the economic indicators coming out of my government much more than I believe the ones that come out of China. As I said, go over to shadowstats.com and see all the different variations of how these economic indicators have changed over the years, and many of them have changed quite significantly just over the past few years. So don't put your faith in economic indicators. Put your faith in market indicators. When the media tells you or whenever the economists tell you that the economy is improving, that there's all kinds of growth, that wages are going up, that unemployment is at near full capacity, you know, that's all economic indicators. Look at the market indicators. Ask yourself why things like trucking are down. Ask yourself why international shipping rates are down. Ask yourself why the type of restaurants where middle class Americans go to relax and spend your money why are they underperforming so poorly if there's so much disposable income in the system? Well, if you do that, I believe you'll come to a different conclusion by looking at the market indicators than you will by looking at the economic indicators. And that carries us over into today's third point, which is an adjunct to the blog post that I put out today over at investablewealth.com. Incidentally, I'd invite you to subscribe to my blog post at investablewealth.com. You can do that free of charge. You won't get spammed. You only get an email notification whenever I put out a new blog post. In any case, 
The point I made in my blog post today was about unrealistic expectations. And again, this carries over to our theme about how you can go into 2016 being a better investor and someone that's much more well-versed in, in wealth-building skills. And that's by understanding the limitations and fully appreciating what's actually going on in the marketplace. Now, if you go out and ask virtually any man on the street and you ask them, how much do the, does the stock market re return? Or people are constantly coming up to me asking, you know, John, what's uh, my return on investment going to be if I do X, Y, and Z? And then when I tell them the truth, they look at me with a blank stare because they're expecting such a large number. Because if you ask the average guy on the street what kind of yield you get from the stock market, it, you know, if they're a conservative person at the very minimum, they're going to tell you, oh, 8 to 12%. Some people will tell you 15 to 20%. But you know, that's just not the case not even close. Now, I'm not saying as an active investor, you can't beat that, but I'm saying you'll do that with a lot of work and by taking on risk. The actual returns simply by buying and holding are significantly less than that, and I'll tell you what they are in a minute, but I want to set this up by pointing out that the reason that people have such unrealistic expectations is because Wall Street feeds that emotion, and the media, the press, they like to hype up good markets. And so they'll always come along and they'll tout these long-term averages. You know, they'll tell you, yeah, over such and such period of time, the market has returned 9.5%. Well, sure, it has over 180 years. But you're not going to live 180 years. And even if you lived 180 years, you wouldn't be fully invested for 180 years. At most, you're probably going to only invest for 30 to 40 years. And it's really that last 15 years that count. That's because of the law of compounding averages. You know, it's it's that last little bit of money that doubles the end just as you're going into retirement or even while you're in retirement. That's what makes the difference. When you start out investing as a 20-year-old, you don't have any money anyways, so it doesn't matter what kind of rate you're getting. It's just not enough. And so your window of opportunity is so very small. It just can't compare with 180-year duration like they like to use on Wall Street. They also like to start their clock at suspicious times. You'll notice that they always talk about market conditions, you know, since World War II or post-World War II or since the uh, Great Depression or since the late Great Recession. Well, they do that because those are the period of times when the market was the lowest. And so they start the clock ticking then because no matter what number they come up with, it always looks like it's grown. Sure, the market went up over 30% in 2013. But that was also at the point where it took the market to get back to where it was in 2008. It took four years to get there. And so it doesn't matter if you made 30% in 2013 if you lost 50% in 2008. But that's how Wall Street tries to trip you up. So I'll tell you where I made my calculation at. I started at the beginning of the century. Let's go back to January 3rd, 2000. On that day, almost 16 years ago now, the market closed at 1455. So if you were someone that buys into the mantra of, you know, buy and hold, just put it in there, set it and forget it. And you've come back 16 years later. Well, how much money did you really make? Well, the nominal return from January of 2000 until today is only an annualized return of 2.7%. You can just do the math. The market's right now around 2077. Take that 1455 that it started with back in January of 2000, 
divide that by 16, you're going to get about a 2.7 nominal annual rate of return. Now, that doesn't take into account inflation or anything else. That's just straight raw return. And you're saying, oh, well, what about dividends? What if you reinvest dividends? Warren Buffett reinvests dividends. Well, sure. Factor in dividends to that, and maybe you'll take that annual return up to about 4.5%. But you're talking about 4.5% over a 15 or a 16-year window when most people think that they're going to be getting double digits. Well, you're not going to get a double-digit return consistently over a decade or more, not in the kind of environment we're in. No one wants to admit this, but we are in a generational slowdown. This trend that's gone on for more than the last 15 years isn't because of the current administration. It isn't because of the past administration. It's a secular trend. It's a global trend. World GDP growth this year, now that we're in the 11th month of the year, it's already been dumbed down to saying that we'll be lucky to hit 3%, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was more like 2.7. That's for world GDP growth. Now, we just talked earlier in this episode about how you can't even believe those numbers to begin with, so I'll let you draw your own conclusions about how fudged that number might be. But even if they are overestimating that number to make it look like it's more rosy than it is, the best they can come up with is 3% growth. Our GDP for 2015 in the United States has been dumbed down yet again just last month. Now they're saying as we go into the last two months of the year that we're going to be lucky to hit 2.6%. Who knows, at the at the end of December, maybe we'll hit 2.7, and then the headlines will all say, GDP beat expectations. We've talked about how that manipulation and propaganda works. But the bottom line, again, if you go back to January of 2000, and you take the GDP number in real terms, not the old school GDP, but the current way of calculating GDP, if you take that now and you go back to what it would have been to January 3rd of the year 2000, that nearly 16-year period, you're going to come up with a growth rate in the United States of only 1.9%. Again, I reiterate, it's because we're in a secular generational slowdown. That's the underlying trend. And remember, as swing traders, we have to invest with the trend. That's why I remain very cautious, even when the market gets optimistic, because I know the underlying trend is subpar growth. So as we get to finish out this year, I don't want you to have unrealistic expectations. I want you to go into 2016 knowing that if you buy and hold for the long term in the type of market we're in, you're going to be hard-pressed to get about a 4.5% rate of return. That includes dividends. So don't fool yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you can't beat that, but again, it'll take work. You have to swing trade. You have to put effort into it. You have to put study into it. You have to get lucky. You have to identify the right trends and then invest in the asset classes that are are going to profit from those trends. That's not easy to do. So don't go into 2016 thinking that you're a hedge fund manager or thinking that you're Warren Buffett and it's all going to work out and you're going to get a double-digit return. That's not the case. You have to get rich the old-fashioned way. You have to earn it, you have to save it, and then you have to learn how to invest it. And then finally, I want to wrap up this podcast by pointing something else out. And that's that most pension funds, whenever they use their actuarial calculations to come up with how much money they'll need in the future to cover the promises that have been made with their defined benefit programs, they generally use an annual return of about 7%. Well, think about it. 
if since the year 2000, the S&P 500 with dividends has only been spinning off about 4.5% and GDP growth rate in real terms is only about 1.9%, how are these pension funds going to be able to meet their obligations if they're counting on at least a 7% return? Well, I'll let you think about that and come up with your own conclusion. But if you dig down into those pension fund numbers, you'll see that more than half of them are woefully underfunded and they're not making any plans to come up with that difference in money. So I think the people that are retiring in the next decade or so, I think that many of them are going to get a very unfortunate surprise when they find that that pension that they were counting on just isn't there, or at least it isn't there to the degree they were expecting. Well, I hate to end on a sour note, but there it is. That's all I have for today. As always, until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.